0: Good morning, good afternoon everyone and thank you for joining us for another episode of Talk Water. You know, I recently was trying to come up with good examples of sustainable action and usually when you think sustainability, a big shopping mall isn't the first thing that springs to mind. But there's one shopping centre in Sweden that's bucking the trend of mindless consumption. Pay a visit to the Ratuna, and instead of mass-produced products, you'll find pretty much everything sourced from recycled materials. Now, Ratuna is a mall in Sweden and Sweden has had a long reputation for flying the flag for sustainability with less than 1% of Swedish waste going to landfills and even this landfill waste is burned to generate energy. In fact, the country made headlines in the last couple of years when they completely ran out of garbage. Sweden ran out of garbage and was forced to import from their neighbours. So it's not surprising at all that we're seeing this happen again in Sweden. And Ratuna is an impressive initiative. You know, the mall is located right next to a recycling centre so visitors can drop off their recycling and buy new stuff in the same trip. The stores inside take much of their stock from repurposed or upcycled products made from what people drop off next door. And though the mall is run by the local energy municipality, the various businesses inside are privately owned, meaning that this is adding around 50 new jobs from retail to repair work to management to catering and really helps boost the local economy. Ratuna is the first mall in the world with a focus on sustainable shopping and offers you one example, and I'm sure there are countless others to be found in our daily lives. So there you go. A reminder for all of us that part of living in in the era of the human planet is learning how to build economies that use our resources wisely. So on that note, let's get started on our first topic for the day. The topic today is going to be about innovation. Now, there's a broad recognition that innovation is required to address mounting challenges with our current water systems. Yet, however, the term disruptive innovation in itself has not been clearly defined and we don't at the moment have a shared understanding of its meaning. So this calls us to go back and examine Clayton Christensen's original definition of disruptivity. He defines it as innovation that creates a new market and a value network, eventually disrupting the existing market and value chain and displacing established market leaders. So to facilitate progress on water innovation, a better system for framing this is needed. And Bluetech Research has for some time now uh, been doing this. And I'm joined by Paula Callahan, CEO of Bluetech Research, who will help lay this out for us. Paul, welcome and thank you for joining me.
1: A pleasure as always, here. Disruptive innovation, that. That came about. Clayton Christensen published papers on that, um, you know, 15 or 20 years ago now. And over time, the term has been used, borrowed, misappropriated. Um, Clayton Christensen only last year did a paper where he studied, used the term himself, and he found that it's citations in academic literature, kind of increased and increased, peaked, and then started to drop off. But the appearance of the term in mainstream media, articles and journalists has continued to increase and increase over the years but really losing sight of its origins or losing sight of what it actually means in terms of um, the Clayton-Christensen theory. And when we went back to it, we found it's a useful model, it's a great theory, but it by no means covers all different types of innovation that we see. So we've narrowed it down to what it's defined to mean, but we have also identified a number of other different types of innovations. because. Not all innovation is created equal. And once you understand what type of innovation you have, you can then come up with the best possible strategy to develop and commercialise that innovation.
0: So a more useful framework that we're applying is to look at the innovation adoption theory and the disruptive innovation theory. And Paul, we'd come up with four key types of innovations.
1: Maybe to give you a few examples, Mm -hmm. there's discontinuous innovation. So think about this as... You're basically doing the same thing, but you're doing it in a totally new way. So, for example, the Tesla EV, or or any EV, its car, you sit into it, you drive it, it gets you from A to B, it feels like a car, it performs like a car, but underneath the hood, it's a completely different value chain of components, suppliers, and technologies. So that's discontinuous. It breaks the existing value chain and component chain, but the product and the consumer experience can remain broadly the same. Radical functionality is when we do something totally new that we've never been able to do before. Like, for example, when the iPod came out, nothing like it had ever really been seen before. Tablets hadn't been seen. And they allowed you to do different things. So it created a new market. Then we have sustaining innovation, which that's improving what we already have, making an existing technology better. So you could look at that as the latest model of the Airbus 380, which is maybe more fuel efficient, a bit lighter. And then you have disruptive innovation, which to its definition, it creates a new market and disrupts an existing market, often through a low-end innovation with something that's performance is reasonably okay, it's good enough um, for the consumer. And the incumbents still don't take too much notice of it to begin with, but gradually it becomes more widely adopted and displaces them ultimately.
0: So... Paul, in our world of water, can you share examples of how these different types of innovations would translate across?
1: So that's the basic uh, structure. And when we apply that template to water, if we think of that discontinuous term I mentioned, the equivalent of the Tesla in water would be a UV LED, for example. It disinfects with ultraviolet light, but it does it using a different set of components, materials, manufacturing processes. Ceramic. ceramic, yeah, ceramic membranes would be another good example. It's filtering to a certain level, but it's not a polymeric membrane. It's not a PVDF or PES. Its manufacturing process, its components are significantly different. Whereas, on the other hand, radical functionality, it's allowing us to do something that we didn't do before. So, again, in water, if we think about that, we could look to examples of struvite recovery, phosphorus crystallization. 10 or 12 years ago, we just did not do phosphorus recovery. It it, it wasn't something that happened. Now it is, so it's something new. It's a new function, a new value that we can deliver. Uh, Utilis, an Israeli company that has a satellite-based leak detection, again, that's radical functionality, the ability to detect leaks from outer spaces and satellites. Mm -hmm.
0: Sustaining innovation, I would say a lot of what's out there in water that's referred to as innovative or being innovative is actually sustaining innovation.
1: Certainly the vast majority of what we would analyse would come under that category. And I would cite their Nano H2O, reverse osmosis membrane technology with a slightly different chemistry and an advantage of maybe 20% approximately. Now, others may look to that as being probably the, the home run within water of the past decade. So it was the next xenon, if you will, acquired for... You know, 200 million, not 700 million like Xenon, but nevertheless, you know, a pretty impactful exit. But it wasn't a disruptive technology, and it has not disrupted the reverse osmosis market. Mm -hmm. When LG purchased that company, arguably what they did was they got into the RO game. It was a way of entering with something which was, you know, differentiated, perhaps slightly better. Narita, Granular Activated Sludge, that's sustaining innovation. It's activated sludge, but it's a twist on it. And it's been widely adopted. It's moved pretty quickly. And then, finally, and last but not least, you have our old friend disruptive innovation, where the holy grail is that you can find something that either completely disrupts the existing market or creates a new value chain. But if we go back to the original definition, it's either a low-end innovation or it's creating a new value chain. We see little enough, actually, in terms of low-end innovation in water, because... Things have to be good enough to meet regs. They can't be not good enough to meet regs. It's, you can't really have something that's you know, just good enough. It's it's either good enough or it's not. And in fact, that's the other problem in water. It's not particularly advantageous to be an awful lot better either in terms of performance. Um, but when, perhaps the best examples are where we create new value networks, and the best one here would be value from data. Mm-hmm. The whole ability to know with sensors, artificial intelligence, AI... To extract data from technologies, from systems, and create value from that. So that's a bit of the construct that we're using now to look at the different types of technologies we see, whether they're at a university, whether they're at a startup company, or within a larger company.
0: And I think what's also important is for us to think about making that connection between innovation and the market. So understanding these links helps, you know, the different stakeholders like innovators, researchers, adopters, investors to understand. The likely commercial impact, you know, of a technology, maybe to understand how a technology should be commercialised and diffused, the typical timelines um, and the typical investments required, and also to to understand who's best placed to take on technology diffusion.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what we're hoping that we can do and develop with this approach. Is depending on the type of innovation you have, your strategy should be different. Yeah. So, for example, if you've got a sustaining innovation with a ten percent efficiency gain. We would say that's not really a venture capital play. Oftentimes that's best left, particularly for market introduction, that's best left to an incumbent. They are best placed to be able to bring sustaining innovation to market. And it's really difficult for, you know, a new VC backed company to disrupt an existing market with, with a gain that's, you know, twenty or thirty yeah. percent. So if you know you're in that category, maybe adopt your strategy slightly differently. If you're a university that has a sustaining innovation, maybe the best thing is license it. License it to one of the larger players because they're in a very good place to bring that to market. Mm -hmm. Discontinuous, discontinuous innovation actually lends itself quite well to new entrants. And Mm -hmm. it's a lot more difficult for incumbents. If you're a polymeric manufacturer of membranes, to get into the ceramics game is a big leap. And a lot of what we see is that the UV LED companies we see, the ceramic companies we see, by and large, are new players. They weren't doing UV you know, mercury amalgam lamp disinfection. They weren't doing polymeric disinfection. So discontinuous, very well suited to new entrants.
0: And radical functionality?
1: Um, Radical functionality, both new and existing. Um, We do see, for example, take that case of Struvite, we see existing companies like Suez Active and startups, so both can play quite well there. These definitions are not mutually exclusive. You can be disruptive with radical functionality. They're just different constructs. So we hope that this allows us to differentiate and say look if it's that type of innovation this strategy has proved to be the most successful in the past some of these innovations move quicker some move slower so there's all those different aspects to it and it's a more nuanced approach to being able to study different new innovations and technologies and look at okay what's the most efficient best way to be able to get these to market and increase the overall efficiency of how we do this.
0: Thanks Paul so I think overall we can say that in analysing new innovations in water most of what we see is sustaining innovation, which is typical for a mature industry. Sustaining innovation, if it passes a certain threshold of performance improvement, of course, it will then be classified as being disruptive. And there have been periods of very significant waves of radical innovations in water. I mean, let's not forget that the water industry has done a fabulous job so far to, to deliver, treat drinking water, and to also treat wastewater all of which could be classified as radical innovation, one that allowed us to do something that we humans didn't do before. And in terms of bringing these innovations to market, knowing the solution and understanding the type of innovation it falls into is very important. This will help people understand commercial impact and offer solutions to how it should be commercialized. So that's great. Thanks very much for your time, Paul. We look forward to the paper.
1: Fantastic. Thanks, Divya.
0: Right. Then, next up, I catch up with Rhys on the latest on Bluetech Research. Good morning, good afternoon. I have online line with us Rhys Owen, our Editor-in-Chief. Rhys, so take me through what Bluetech have been working on the past month.
2: Oh, dear, yeah, sure. Uh, this month, we've updated our information on de technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's de employing microbes to convert ammonia directly to nitrogen gas under anaerobic conditions. Uh, nitrogen removal is increasingly becoming a focus of wastewater treatment. As we all know, uh, elevated levels of nitrogen and effluents can have severe environmental and human health impacts. So, this is a growing market. Uh, the rates of growth is increasing. We look at the rolling average of new installations per year over a three year period. Mm-hmm. And back over 2010 to 2012, it was 12 new installations a year worldwide. It's now 18. And we see this increasing to as many as 22 a year uh, over the next two years. So, yeah, so pretty steady growth. Um, Another interesting thing about this market is that the big players, such as Biolia and Suez, are relatively new players, which makes Mm -hmm. them challenges in this market, which is an unusual position for them to Mm -hmm. be in. So the market at the moment is pretty much sewn up between PAX, which has first mover advantage with its Animox technology, which everyone has heard of. Yeah. And they have 65% of the market in terms of capacity, while demon technologies account for 29%. So that leaves Veolia, Suez, and Aqualia fighting it out for the remaining 6%. Mm-hmm.
0: So
2: uh, while they have been growing very well, the newer entrants have got their work cut out for them, really, in terms of dislodging the big two. Um, that's probably why Suez has been looking at breaking into markets outside of Europe and Northern America, uh, such as India. With one of their latest installations, for example. Um, there's, there's a lot more to say on this, but uh, there is a taster in the briefing, and the full report is on the intelligence uh, platform. And we also take a look at what PWNT's recent high profile staff exits and difficulties rumored that its Anvik 3 plants mean to the company and, and for ceramic membranes in general. Uh, ceramic membranes, of course, being this company's flagship technology perhaps unsurprisingly uh competing impulses between the dutch utility with its utility-minded outlook and pe- uh, and, and it's more dynamic international facing commercial technology arm has probably proved a bit difficult to manage um uh, even though successful ceramic installations at municipalities have been happening and they're building up so we take a look at the interplay there and uh, elsewhere conference season kick off. We uh, feature a a taste from our our analysis from AMTA 2019, which happened in the end of February in New Orleans. And a roundup of a conference we haven't covered before. It's the Multi-State Salinity Council in the US, their annual Salinity Summit. So lots going on on the research side this month. And we also have an announcement. Blue Tech Research is pleased to announce our new media partnership with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and the MIT Water Club so this is one of the world's foremost uh, respected networks for water research and yeah. innovation. Yeah, it's very very well known brand. And uh, as part of this, we'll be supporting the MIT Water Innovation Prize. Now, this is a multi-stage business plan competition in which MIT student entrepreneurial teams compete for prize money. and so we we want to be supporting innovation in the water technology. so, Bluetech will be supporting the winners by providing strategic water technology, market intelligence and, and consultancy services. So, you know, we're hoping to do our parts to help boost innovation and entrepreneurship in the in the water sector. But so that's the MIT Water Prize and we'll be covering the winners in an upcoming briefing.
0: Fantastic. Sir definitely lots going on. Um so overall, we have a market analysis looking at demonification, looking at the overall market share distribution. We study the rate of diffusion using our technology S-curve, which tells you how quickly this technology area is growing. And the three-year rolling averages, as you said, Reese, gives us an idea of what the future looks like. As you mentioned as well, it's not often that you get to see Suez and Veolia or get to classify Suez and Veolia as new players in a market. So that's certainly interesting to see how that's 6% of the market share Will grow. Um, a fantastic news about MIT. I'm really impressed with the examples that you gave of um, Oasis, Magic Water, and Villarón are all fairly different and very unique.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's very, um, it's a very creative atmosphere, uh, yeah. as you'd expect, and a lot of uh, you know a wide range of innovations coming out. So, excited to be part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Good news for BluTech. Well, thanks very much for the update, Reese. Thank you, Vivian. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. And that brings us to the end of this month's podcast. I hope the information we've shared, particularly around understanding the link between innovation and the market, has been useful. We'll be back next month with more exciting content.